0: So, good morning everybody. If you're a visitor here this morning, you're very welcome. Come again. My name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here, uh, along with Simon, Sarush, and Gavin. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to the book of Acts. Acts. Um, that's the sermon series we're in at the moment, chronicling, telling the story of the explosion of the early church after Jesus had died and risen. That's what we just heard about. And, and, and it's a turning point. And I, I say it's a turning point because as we've just seen, so far we've seen the Gospel go out to... Uh, uh, and the early church transforming Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, kind of more local areas. Uh, uh, and But from Acts 13 onwards, uh, we see the beginning of the joy news of Jesus go going into the uttermost ends of the earth. Uh, also, there's a shift now from these other key players that we've just uh, heard about, Peter, Stephen, Philip, uh, to the Apostle Paul as he heads out on his first uh, missionary journey along with, um, along with Barnabas to a place called Asia Minor, now, now uh, called modern-day Turkey. In fact, The story of Mikhail and Heike and Jill and Andy Ball in Lighthouse Church Yallava and the Baraket Project, the great stuff that they do uh, out there, really is a legacy of this journey. Have you thought about that? So let's get into it. Acts 13 and 14. This is going to be a long read, okay? Because I want you to get a feel for the whole of this first missionary journey. I'm going to cut lots of bits out, I'm going to summarize so we can get through it. Acts 13 and 14. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, who's probably a, a, an, a, an African guy, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, an important guy. And Saul, this was a diverse bunch, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, also called Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, sailed to Cyprus, there they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They met a Jewish sorcerer, Elimas, who was an attendant of the proconsul. The proconsul, an intelligent man, uh, sent uh, for Barnabas and Paul uh, because uh, he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, opposed them. Then Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. When the proconsul saw what had happened, this miracle, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Cyprus, Paul and his companions sailed, they keep going to Perga in Pamphylia, and then on to Pisidian Antioch. Uh, On the Sabbath, that's not the same Antioch in Syria, Pisidian Antioch, on on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and spoke there. Standing up, Paul said, fellow Israelites and Gentiles who worship God, listen to me, the God of of the people of Israel chose our ancestors and then he takes them through from uh, takes them through Jewish history from Joseph to David describing God's faithfulness to the Jewish people and then he goes on from this from as he takes them through history from this David's descendants God has brought Israel the savior Jesus just as he promised He's making sense of the whole story. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, that's what he's telling them to death, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath in your synagogues. But God raised him from the dead. That's the good news. And there were lots of witnesses to that resurrection. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain through all your Jewish practices and the laws of Moses. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered there. They were becoming popular uh, and they, they wanted to hear the word of the Lord, but, but some jealous Jews began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet, I like that, and on they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, filled with joy. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue first. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the other brothers. There was a plot to mistreat them and stone Paul and Barnabas, but they found out and fled to another town, Lystra and Der- Derby, no Derb, um, not the same Derby that Jan- Jonathan and Sandra went to, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, another testimony of God's healing, and Paul healed him. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted, the gods have come down to us in human form, Paul and Barnabas, and started worshipping Paul and Barnabas. But when Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations like yours go their own way. But now, he has shown kindness by giving you rain and heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty from keeping the crowds, from sacrificing and worshipping them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And so they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he, and the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city too and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned. So now they're coming back. Yeah. They returned to Lystra, Iconium and Pisidian, Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas, on their way back as as he's visiting these churches again, appointed elders for all of them in the church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Eventually they sailed back home to Antioch the sending church where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened faith to the Gentiles. This is an amazing journey. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for this First missionary journey. I thank you for the others that follow. I thank you uh, for Paul, Barnabas, other guys, Silas who uh, accompany Paul and bring the faith of you, knowing you, the cross, the resurrection all this amazing news all this joy news. I thank you Lord that we owe it to these guys for bringing it far and wide and actually we owe it to them Lord and we thank you Holy Spirit that you sent them for our own own relationship with jesus and the holy spirit spirit living in us so we ask this morning be our teacher uh, as we look into this journey and see how the church how the church is meant to be and what we can learn as we go forward as a church in your uh, holy name lord we ask fill us this morning amen so, what I want to do this morning again uh, is pull out a few things about the church on mission, which hopefully will guide us, to, to, uh, guide us today. Once again, quick fire, quick fire a few points about the church, God's glory on display. So, firstly, the church is God's big plan A. That might sound obvious to some of you, there isn't a plan B. When Jesus told his followers, listen, when Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, what did they do? Paul and Barnabas planted churches. They didn't just do evangelistic meetings, they didn't just set up social action projects, they didn't just do a whole load of Christian courses. No, they planted churches. Acts 14:23 says, after visiting all these places on the first missionary journey, we just read it, they went back and appointed elders for them in each of those churches. Phil Moore writes, uh, a Bible teacher down in London, he writes, Paul and Barnabas went to Asia Minor with the power of the gospel, but their hopes for those they won to Christ were firmly bound up in the local church. Do you believe this church, the churches across Teesside, the Spirit-filled churches across the nation and throughout the nations are God's plan A to rescue and transform the world to God? There is no plan B. I love what Steve Sutton from uh, Colby Baptist Church he preached here some uh, probably a year ago now. Um, and he said said the other month at, Aust- uh, at Movement Day in Australia he was invited out there as God co- and he was talking about how God called him to move to Middlesbrough the whole family. And he said God said to him, I saw the hurt, I saw the brokenness, I saw the pain of that city, and he said, I love that place. I love that place. In fact, I love Teesside so much, I'm giving her a church. The church is God's plan. I love how this church has been responsible over the years um, uh, to plant and facilitate church planting. Sending Steve Whittington and others, uh, Stephen Joe uh, and the kids, uh, out planting, in, planting Jubilee Hull. I remember how in our prayer meetings, you, me, we prayed strenuously, as Gavin said, for it, didn't we? We planned for it. We gave to it generously. There was nothing independent about how we started Jubilee Hull. Like the church Paul and Barnabas st- uh, started. Like the church Paul and Barnabas started. We were in this together. Even today, it carries something of the DNA of Jubilee Teesside. As, as, as it, uh, uh, that it took out to Hull um, as it, and, 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 and is growing and thriving there. When Jill and Andy uh, Ball uh, went out to Yalava to strengthen God's church into that very dangerous part of the world, uh, they took with them some of the love from our Muslim brothers and sisters that we have, the compassion for asylum seekers and refugees. I love the big uh, church family, Christ Central, New Frontiers. uh, Seeing churches thrive and grow and multiply in countries all, all over the world. Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Canada, Norway, Peru, Sweden, Tanzania, America, Zambia, Cambodia, Bolivia, Mexico, China. That's what Christ Central, that's what we are doing as the Christ Central family. I also love our big church family on Teesside as we pray together and worship together and look to how we express unity across Side, that will make a difference to everyone. This year we're also helping to plan and fund a large gathering of churches and church leaders in Ho, Ghana in August, working with our good friend Michael Akosha, strengthening the church in West Africa, planting more churches. Michael will be visitors, visiting us in the UK Uh, after that Ghana conference, we are in friendship together. Do you believe the church is the hope of the world? The church is God's plan A. Question, are you giving yourself to it fully? Not just filling a seat on Sunday mornings. Whatever way you look at this, whatever way you look at what's happening, the church is God's centerpiece for what he is doing in the whole earth. And it is, it is. And therefore, it's got to make a difference in the way you and me invest our lives. It's got to. Secondly, the church is for everyone. We see in verse 46, we had to speak the word of God to you first, the Jewish people. Since, they, since you reject it, do not, consider your, uh, do not consider yourselves worthy of it. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people. This seems to be Je- uh, Paul's pattern as we look um, um, through his missionary journeys. When they hit a city, they first went to the Jewish people, often in the synagogue. Then after that, from there they would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish b- um, it, people who were interested. And it, was, and it was this second bit of what they were doing which got them into a lot of trouble. It, it, it upset the Jewish people and the religious leaders. You see, you see, there's history to this. The Jewish people were an honored nation. We got a bit of that uh, in that little brief film. It was like they had special breakdown cover. They, had, they were like the members of the air. They had certain privileges. And historically, they believed... Ra- they, they believed that they had the right to be rescued. Whether it was Babylon, Egypt, Midianites, Goliath, whatever their A19 breakdown looked like, they could call on the name of their rescuer God any time, any day, any night, and He would come to their aid. But unfortunately, as the centuries move on, many Jews had stopped calling on God's name. In the eyes of Jesus, these, their religious practices had become just a way of manipulating God and highlighting their superiority, not loving God. Jesus had lots of bust stops with the religious leaders of the day. So did Paul and Barnabas, as we've just read. And so stranded, if you like, on the A 19, despite having a phone, despite having a membership card, they never called for help to the one who could save them. Jesus. In fact, they eventually forgot that the ve- forgot the very jewel that the very jewel of the gospel was really um, wasn 't really the card anywhere, their membership card, it was faith, it was trust, it was thankfulness, it was cherishing God who come as Jesus. I was once stuck on the M1 driving uh, back from medical school a long time ago uh, in London and my A car and my uh, uh, and, my, and my car broke down and actually my A membership had lapsed and my mom kept on yelling at me you've got to sort this out I'll do it tomorrow Mom." I never did and then I was stranded you might, you might relate to that Will um, I was stranded I was stranded uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the M1 and in, uh, without membership, without a card, and I, I decided I'm going to call them anyway. In faith, in humility, realizing that they didn't owe me a single rescue at all, I hoped that they would sort me out. And amazingly, they did. They made me a member right there and then, and they came out and sorted some minor problem, which most of you probably would have sorted out yourselves. And I got on with it. The Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and and to the Greek. This is good news. This is amazing news, especially to those of us who feel that there is something about them that rules them out. We all think that. Wrong family, wrong background, wrong personality, wrong education, wrong culture, wrong sexual preference, wrong moral track record. What is it that makes you feel excluded? You know what? This gospel is for you. This church is for you. Thirdly, the church has the right key. When it comes to sharing our faith, starting points are really important. This is something that I've learned and prayed about over the years. Lord, give me a starting point. Give me something that I can build a bridge to. On my key ring, on my key ring I have uh, two sets of keys. Um, both the keys, the, uh, they look relatively similar. Both unlock doors, both uh, lock doors. But when I try using the GP surgery door key, To get into my house, we have a problem. People wonder, what is he doing? I get cold and wet. I get annoyed. I often ring Matthew because he has a spare key. Why? Because I'm using the wrong key to open a different lock. We see it here too. It's fascinating when you look into what's going on as, as Paul and Barnabas goes to these different towns. In Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas meets the the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, he looks for the right gospel key, doesn't he? He calls them fellow Israelites, fellow children of Abraham. He refers to our, our fathers, our people. He drills the truth of Jesus going way back into their history and all the things that are precious to them. And then, and only then, after he's used the right key, after he's built a bridge, does he give them a gospel that challenges their worldview. That the law of Moses, this list of do it's, can't save them. That their Judaism can't bring forgiveness. They can't bring the forgiveness of God like Jesus does. That God has put them on a level plane with the Gentiles in terms of peace with God. That their rabbis crucified Jesus their Messiah. This is the kind of preaching which causes half believers, nominal believers to be offended. But it's also the kind of challenge that causes them to repent and believe and trust in God. In contrast, when Paul goes to the very pagan, non-Jewish, very non-Jewish area of Lystra in Acts 14, those Jewish connections aren't any value anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't blurb them out. Quoting the Old Testament doesn't give any weight to the Gospel there. So he has to pull out a different set of keys. Lystra was surrounded by beautiful countryside. So Paul talks about the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The Lystrans were farmers, so Paul declares the Christian God has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heavens and crops in their seasons. It's very sophisticated. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. They are being led by the Holy Spirit. He tells them this God hasn't forgotten the nations. He is on their side. And then, and only then, does He give them a gospel that challenges their worldview that their idol worshipping is futile, that they didn't think much of Zeus and Hermes as gods, that their sacrifice couldn't bring the salvation that the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, brought. Do you believe the church, you and me, need to take time to find the right keys? We need to hear what our friends and family and colleagues are actually saying. We need to get into their lives, their stories, their hurts, their search for happiness and meaning we need to be there for them we need to love them in all their different ways and wise you guys do that that's why we say on Al- that's why we say as we're promoting alpha make friends try alpha the path between each action might actually take years or even uh, might take years might take days who knows but we're seeing the fruit of that now jubilee through people um, giving their lives to Jesus and getting baptised. Deborah, Anthony, Elam, Ali Reza, Gemma, Zora, Sasan, Jake, Miriam, uh, Mariam, Laura, uh, Michael, Ben, Milad, others. Remember, this isn't, Remember, this isn't about being a project. People don't buy treating them like a project. It's a heartfelt love. And compassion. And when you come to Alpha, you sense it. When you come to Life Plus, actually, you sense it too. Through our football team, through the work of hope and open door, through safe families for children and sparklers, through food bank, through our community groups, through Alpha and Life Plus, through everyone engaging and loving their neighbors, through simple acts of kindness, through being aware of those around us through how we speak and behave at work and school and university, through how we handle hardship and suffering, through our marriages and family lives, through how we spend and give generously and faithfully, God opens the right lock with the right key. Are you praying for divine encounters? I'm doing that more and more these days as I go to the school gate. Are you praying for locks to be bust open by the powerful gospel keys of God? Fourthly, the church continues in the grace of God. See verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and what did they do? What did Paul and Barnabas urge them to do? Who urged them to continue in the grace of God. They met them, they planted churches or started the beginnings of a church and said, now continue in the grace of God. You see, Paul and Barnabas were only around a few months as they planted churches across Asia Minor. But then very early on, they had to leave these fledgling new churches to ordinary men, new converts, trusting, trusting that God the Holy Spirit, would finish off in them what he had started through Paul and Barnabas's relatively brief visit. This is a big lesson for us, I think, isn't it? If we really get Jesus' great commission, it's not just about making disciples. It's about making disciples who make more disciples. Is that how you see it? Those of you leading or responsible for different areas of the church or in the marketplace, do you get this? Are you nurturing and inviting others into the bigger plans of God? Serving Sunday, that's a great way of encouraging people to get involved. Are you releasing everyone under your care, friends, those you influence, into the bigger, uh, bigger aspects of the church? This, this is a cultural change in the church and it's world transforming and it's life transforming. Making disciples who make disciples of others. Phil Moore writes, a lot of Christian re- leaders stumble at this hurdle. They believe that God can use ordinary people like themselves but they haven't the same faith to replicate and hand over their work to others. They see faults and flaws and a thousand different reasons why it is not yet time to trust those around them to continue what they have started. They have forgotten what Paul and Barnabas knew knew only too well, that they have only borne fruit through God's grace towards them and that God's grace is also towards other people too. That challenged me. Making disciples who go on to make more disciples, who go on to make more disciples, who go on to make more disciples, that's the church right there. That's the more and more people who believe they can fill other people's massive shoes simply by continuing in the grace of God. Jubilee, don't ever give up on the grace of God. Continue in it steadfast. The church is God's plan A. There isn't a plan B. The church is for everyone. The church has the right key. The church continues in the grace of God, making disciples who make more disciples. Fifth, finally. The church fights battles. Throughout all of these missionary journeys, there's trouble and strife. From Elima Eli the sorcerer, who challenges Paul to the religious leaders who stir up persecution to being stoned and flogged and fleeing for their lives. This was a battle. It wasn't like a battle, as Dillis used to say. It was a battle. Arthur Wallace in his book Into Battle says this, The call to Christ is a call to arms. The Christian life means warfare. There is no room in Christ's army for those who want to play at Christianity, seeking the thrills and frills, but shirking the cut and thrust of battle. When the Apostle Paul reaches the end of his life, he doesn't say, I've danced the good dance or worked the good job or partied the good party, does he? No! He says, I've fought the good fight. That's his summary of the Christian life. Those of you who have just done Alpha, we didn't tell you that, did we? But you'll get it soon. What's fascinating as we read these accounts of Paul's missionary journeys, each time they face battle, and they always do, and persecution and insult, you know what happens? They get straight back up and carry on, and they preach the Gospel. Did you notice that in the story that we've just read? You see, me and Paul have different job descriptions, I think. In mine, it says, if I get stoned while ministering the gospel, I retire. At least I'll take a few days off. But Paul doesn't do that. Have you read some of the stories of Christian martyrs? When Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, two famous Christian martyrs, were burned at stake in 1555, it's recorded that Latimer very English, said calmly to his fellow martyr, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. We see the fruit of that now. How do these guys do this? How does the church thrive in the midst of battle? The Maccabean martyrs were like that too. Well, I think we can get a bit of help from James. In his book, in James 1, 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Paul talks about it in Romans too. What's he saying? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Is he saying, don't you just love suffering? Boy, this feels good. Hey, hey, give me some more. More lashings, more stonings, more shipwrecks. I'm loving this. I don't think so. Look more carefully. He's saying, consider it joy when all this stuff happens to you. The key word there is consider. Jubilee right there in the thick of hardship, James is urging us to deliberately stop for a moment, consider, think, reason out, pray out the suffering that you are experiencing, not from just your point of view, but God's bigger viewpoint. From God, from His wisdom, from His Word, from His perspective, from His promises, knowing that He is good and that He loves us and that He is for us by faith. That's what brings joy. It's not easy. No way. It's not easy at all. But it's a discipline that cultivates joy and perseverance. That's what these guys lived out and realized that help us ride the storms of battle. It's a discipline that shines God's glory into the lives of others. It's a discipline that happens all the time so that when trouble hits, we're ready. It's a discipline that results more and more in a life of worship and trust and praise. It's a discipline that we pass on to each other, our friends, our colleagues, our kids. If the band can come up, that'd be great. Probably the most startling reality of the Christian faith is at the very heart, it is at the very heart, a man, a man dying on the cross, suffering to save us. That is a phenomenal truth. Most other faiths or beliefs wouldn't dare say something like Christians say. It would be offensive, but we believe in a suffering God jubilee. We believe in a God who put his faith in our shoes we believe in a God who isn't just some impassive observer of our struggles looking on checking things out at a distance immune to what we feel no way quite the opposite Paul and Barnabas got this other guys got this a lot of you have got this over the years through your stories Jesus Christ was crucified for you and for me. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was hung to die. He took our forever pain. He took our forever struggles. He took our forever condemnation. He took our forever shame all the way to Calvary up on a hill. And in that moment, He drank the cup. He took your hell into His very soul so that you didn't have to go there. He was victorious over sin, Satan, and death. He fought the greatest battle of all. That's the joy right there. That's the hope. That's the strength, Jubilee. That's the victory that we all have in our battles, knowing Jesus is with us. And I know there are battles in this room. Does God love you? Of course he does. Is there, really, is there a really greater joy than knowing that love? Of course there isn't. Let's stand. Yeah, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for these uh, missionary journeys. I thank you to hear that the gospel is now going into the ends of the earth. And I pray, Lord God, as we play our part, that we'll continue to take the gospel further to the uttermost parts of Uh, Teesside, the UK and the nations. I pray, Lord God, that the church will be that city on the hill, that light of the world. I pray, Lord God, that we will see healings through you um, in those different places. I pray for breakdown to be restored. I pray for hurt to be put right. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will restore Teesside that you'll show your compassion, that you'll show your love, that will bring your healing, that you will bring your healing as Andy prayed out there. Come Holy Spirit, we trust you, we love you. Come Holy Spirit, turn this nation more and more round to you. In Jesus' name, amen.